Hello, and welcome to Human Is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry. I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sibling, and a former athlete. I work full time. I am the founder of Rapid, a nonprofit organization, and I'm legally blind. I am so excited about opening the conversation about everything equity. We will primarily be talking about disability, as that is my lived experience, and it is often the minority left out of the equity conversation. I am passionate about equity for all identities, as I have family members from the communities of color, LGBTQIA, disabilities, and we span all ages. It is my goal to normalize these conversations, get people comfortable with the uncomfortable, and include everyone. After all, we are all human. All right, thank you everybody for joining me here today. I am super excited to have an awesome guest, Trisha Downing with me today, Paralympic athlete, speaker, author, and a whole bunch of other stuff she'll talk about. But we met, ironically, or not so ironically, in, in my opinion, we were at a ADA conference for ADA coordinators. We were both trying to get our ADA certification to become an ADA, ADA coordinator. And Trisha sat down at our table with us at an, on the very first day, actually. And we started talking and found we had a ton in common. And so I'm really excited to have you on here today, Trisha. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, tell them um, what you're up to these days, and then we'll get more into your story after a brief intro. Well, um, right now, as I have an ambulance going by my house, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you didn't hear that, but... Um, <laughs> So right now I am working on a couple of new books because um, we have, like most people, uh, stay in place orders at um, in Denver, Colorado, where I live. So mm -hmm. I'm having a lot of opportunities to sit at my desk and catch up on things that I've been wanting to do for a long time. So I've got a couple of books in the process and hopefully uh, we'll be able to get at least the first draft done by the time... Um, our worlds open up at least a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And what kind of books do you write? Um, I'm writing a fiction novel, and I'm also putting together a um, resilience, um, a book on resilience and how to Ooh. become more resilient. I love that. I don't have any tattoos, but that's the one word, or if there was a symbol for it, that would be the one that I would want to get on me if I had a tattoo. That's perfect. And I think it's, you know, it's very applicable today, you know, because mm -hmm. we've got, I, mean, I, I feel like a lot of people, um, their resilience is being tested by, you know, what's happening right now. And so um, part of me wishes I would have had this done, oh, maybe three months ago, but <laughs> better late than never. And um, just something I've been thinking about and writing about a lot lately. So I thought I might as well um, publish it and get it out to the world. Awesome. And what books have you written in the past? I have written a memoir uh, called Cycle of Hope, and I've written a fiction novel called Chance for Rain. Awesome. Very cool. Okay, so we'll post those down in the show notes so people can take a look at those. Um, so as this podcast is all about equity and inclusion, what is your identity as a person um, 
yeah, how do you identify as a person? Oh, uh, that's an interesting question. Just because <laughs> I, I have so I, I, I don't know, like, um, well, I'll just start because <laughs> yeah. I, I have so many different things that I identify with. But um, I identify as an individual with a disability, mm -hmm. um, which kind of goes into what you talked about, where we met at the ADA conference. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I am biracial. I am mixed black and white, and so um, I identify very closely with that. I am also a female and I identify as, as being female, and I think I have a lot of other identities probably. Athlete is uh, a big one for me. Um, and then I think that's kind of like where I derive most of my life experience and life um, goals and expectations from. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. We started talking about identity um, at the conference, which was really cool. Um, and I didn't know you're mixed race. You're further away than I could tell. So that was, it was awesome to see as my kids are mixed, as you know, and my husband's black. And so just so many, so many connections there at the, at the ADA conference. Yes. Okay. So let's tell uh, listeners about your story um, before. So I'll, kind of move into that but you didn't always have a disability correct 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 and at what age did you acquire your disability i acquired it when i was 31 okay in a um bicycle versus car accident Ooh. i was the bicycle and um we know um that bicycles usually lose um yeah. in that equation and so i was on a training ride with a friend and on the way home, when a car turned into our path and I couldn't stop quickly enough and I hit it and uh, was launched off my bike and landed on my back on the car and then landed on the ground and was paralyzed instantly from the chest down. Oh, wow. Okay. So previously to the injury, you said you were doing a training training um, ride. Right. And so what was what were you training for? What was your previous to the injury experience? So at that time, I was a competitive cyclist. Okay. I had been racing for uh, just a handful of years before that. And um, it was, so it was a newer sport to me, but I was doing well and had high expectations and high goals and um, never obviously got to achieve them in that sport. But I've, you know, started out as an athlete when I was probably four. And I started as a swimmer, okay. worked my way into gymnastics and diving and then cycling. So I've mm. always been an athlete, but that was my sport at the time of the accident. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. I was wondering that before what you did as a, as a kid. Okay. And then did you grow up in Denver? I did. I'm a native, which there okay. aren't too many no, natives there around are. here. <laughs> okay so now post-injury um what are you up to what are what are, as an athlete as all those things um so post-injury i started out as a triathlete okay. and did that for almost 10 years and then i switched over to rowing for a very short stint and okay. um rowing caused some additional injuries so then I stopped doing athletics altogether, and then I decided to come back and try shooting to hopefully um, be able to compete, but also not um, wreck my body anymore. So I am 
currently a shooter. I am a 2016 Paralympian and I'm training for what is now 2021. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm also trying to make a comeback into triathlon too. So. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So the mind shift around the Olympics being postponed, how did that, how did that go for you? Um, you know, I, I guess it's, it's been okay. I, um, my main frustration with it is that I wasn't really planning on going another year. Um, yeah, because you were talking about retiring, right? Yes. I was going to be done after this games and, um, then move on to some other things that I would like to do with my life. But, um, you know, I also feel like I've come this far. Why give up now? So (laughs) I guess I will just try to make my plans, um, have to be flexible and resilient Mm -hmm. and, um, Mm -hmm. create a new plan for myself and a new timeline for, um, the things that I want to do. Absolutely. And what are some of those things if you want to share? Um, sure. Well, I'm doing, um, these books and then, um, I'm also looking at a couple of jobs that I have applied for and I will probably continue to do some motivational speaking and, um, different things like that. I, I like to be an entrepreneur. Um, but I also, am later in my career. So I want to, um, find some steady employment and um, save some money and just kind of see where that goes. So a little more stability. Yeah, that. it's, I mean, I, it's, I, I don't know what the long-term, you know, how that looks, but as, as an athlete, um, there's a lot of, I would say instability when it comes to trying to work and be an athlete at the same time. And so um, I've been doing that for a very long time and it's exhausting. It's really, it takes a toll on you after a while to try to figure out how am I going to have the time to um, train, but also be a responsible adult and make money and pay the mortgage and do all of those things. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking to get off of that, um, hamster wheel for a little bit and we'll see but you know I mean it's it's always you know the grass is always greener right you go (laughs) you know to a full-time job and you're like oh I get a paycheck every you know two weeks or four weeks and then you think oh now I've lost my freedom so now I want to go back and be (laughs) self-employed and and then you go back to that and you're like oh well that paycheck was nice so it's like you know it's I think I think a little bit of of both is kind of a nice way to nice way to be. Absolutely. No, I agree. I'm um, going from the, you know, comfortable, very good benefits of the government to um, really diving into the passion side. So I'm going the opposite direction as you. And it's, it's, you know, it's scary. You got to be willing to make that jump and know that you can pay the bills and all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, there's good and bad with both. And I think knowing that you can do both um, is really helpful because especially in a time like this where we don't know what the world's going to look like in, mm-hmm. you know, six months or a year or five years or 10 years. And so to be able to know that, uh, you know, I can support myself. I have, I have skills. I've got, you know, I know how to market myself. I know, you know, things that I can offer that people will pay for, but I also know that I have skills that, you know, an employer would be interested in. So it's, I mean, it's nice to have that confidence that, you know, I've taken care of myself 
without the help of an employer before and I can do it again if, you know, I get put in that kind of situation. So, yeah, um, you know, I, I think there's, I think there's benefits to having done both in your life, but they're also different times for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, are you doing anything via digital for your speaking or your engagements yet? Have you switched that over from in-person to, um, the digital space? Well, I have I haven't yet. Um, I mean, I have programs and things ready to go, but I have not um, delivered any of them in this recent time. I've done some um, webinars and some speaking virtually before, just okay. um, you know, because you know, people that's what people needed or wanted in the in the moment. Um, I had a whole handful of speaking engagements canceled um, because of the COVID situation. So those may or may not reschedule as virtual events. Um, there's actually a conference that I was looking to attend um, in July as an attendee, and they've just changed that to a virtual conference. So um, I, I think that's an option that people are looking towards so that they don't have to completely reschedule what they were doing and um, you know, be able to still put out the information that they wanted to. So it's definitely, you know, something that's, that's here, um, not even just on the horizon, but it's here. And, you know, and if people want, um, virtual programs, then I'm, I'm all about that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. So immediately a bunch of stuff got canceled for us too. And, um, just this coming week on Thursday, I have my first virtual you know, three-hour training that's now been chopped into two trainings. So we're doing 90 minutes just because people have such a shorter attention span at, at home. Yes. So that's been really interesting to shift programs from longer sessions at work, which is easier to, in the physical space, to get people in a room once for three hours versus two separate times and make sure that everybody shows up. And now it's the opposite. They're like, no, you know, there's too much going on at home. Three hours is way too long to sit in front of your computer. Um, and so we're shifting that and people are starting to feel better about putting that money out because they still want to provide those, that education for their employees. But, um, it's just been so uncertain. So hopefully this is kind of the turning point of, okay, let's, uh, this is our normal, let's go and schedule stuff. So yeah, the people like you and I can get back to work on the digital exactly. space. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, very good. So switching gears a little bit. So um, talking about more about your disability and your experience in that space, um, Jameson and I, are, my husband, are actually having our eight-year anniversary next week or week after next, I guess. Congratulations. Thank you. And so we've done a podcast about being married to a person with a disability and being a person with a disability who's married to an able-bodied person. Um, and then we talk a lot about a lot of the listeners like the six-year-old question approach that I approach the world at and allowing people to ask some of the questions. And I wanted to ask, so uh, for those of you who are listening for the first time, I am legally blind and I um, still have some remaining sight. I have a guide dog. And then Trisha uses a wheelchair as a, a paraplegic. And so we have totally different experiences in this world as people with disabilities. And so Trisha, I wanted to tap into some of your experiences and either things you um, find that people don't know how to interact with. They're kind of nervous or uncomfortable, or you can tell there's that awkwardness between you and somebody. 
but I would love to hear what some of the things are that you find people are most uh, uncomfortable or uh, awkward about in your life. Um, you know, I mean, I don't feel like we run into, like as a couple, a lot of um, awkwardness. Um, but the, the, I think the biggest question that we've gotten um, when, you know, usually when we're alone, um, is people ask if we were married before or after my accident. Okay. Um, and I, I, I think that's um, a way to qualify um, Steve, my husband, as in like, you know, did was he kind enough to stay with her after the accident or was he nice enough to marry me even despite my... Um, the baggage that I bring to the relationship baggage in air quotes, um, yeah. you know, being, <laughs> being a, you know, wheelchair user, like was, you know, they, they always think he's this knight in shining armor because he rescued the girl in the wheelchair. Oh. Um, and so that's that, I think that's the one that like we both point to immediately um, as you know, people have their ideas of like, well, why would you marry somebody who's in a wheelchair? Yeah. You know, when there's plenty of perfectly able-bodied people and it's, you know. Yeah, so, and so for listeners, were you guys married? We um, were not married when I had my accident. We were married about five years after my accident. Okay. Very so, good. And how did you guys meet? Did you meet through the cycling? We did. We met. Um, he was actually working at a bike shop at the time. And um, I took my hand cycle in there to get some work done and um, we met there. So oh, wow. and cool. he's, um, had a lot of experience with, um, working with athletes with disabilities. And, um, so he, you know, he didn't think twice about, you know, starting a relationship and, and getting to know me and that kind of thing. And, um, but I think there are still a lot of people who, you know, think that having a disability is a huge burden and, and why would you do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, so that's as a couple. And so one of the things that's hard for me sometimes is feeling like a burden on Jamison at times, like I don't drive. Um, so he's our only driver in the family um, and certain things like that. Is there experiences like that that you have to mentally struggle with, though Steve may not mind as much, but that you kind of have to talk yourself down from and say, okay, no, this is who I'm I am and this is fine, you know this is the way it is and I make up for it in other ways or whatever, you know, is there stuff like that that you experience? Yeah. I mean, I think there are, you know, a few things like, um, Steve used to be a big snowboarder and, um, I really, I, I loved snowboarding and skiing when I was able-bodied, but I mm -hmm. never, never really enjoyed, uh, sit skiing, you know, downhill. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, when he would go do his snowboarding, I would do something else, um, which was fine. Um, uh -huh. because he could go with his guy friends and I could stay home and do something that I wanted to do, whether it was with my girlfriends or alone or just have time away or, you know, whatever <laughs> it was, um, you know, so, so there was that. And like, I feel like we, um, you know, we got through a lot of that stuff really, really very easily. You, you know, there would be times where I'd be like, oh, it would be really fun if we could go snowboarding together because that would be an activity that, um, you know, we both like, that could bring us together, that could allow us to spend time together. Um, and we have had to really do a lot of splitting our hobbies out, you know, because I do, you know, triathlons and I'm on my hand cycle, which is slower than when he's on his bike. And 
I don't like the snow and he, you know, he does and, you know, things like that. But, you know, I think that, you know, with that, like every couple has, has those kinds of situations where, you know, it's like he likes this and she likes that. And so you have to split up every once in a while to go your separate directions. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of like concerns, my biggest concern is really health wise. Um, and I want to make sure that I am well covered with benefits and being able to pay for, mm. you know, whatever medical care, care I have. Um, in the past 20 years of having a disability, I've probably had 20 surgeries. So, um, you know, like, and, and some of it is, you know, just related to my injury and some of it's just life and, you know, things like that. But, you know, just, just worrying about, okay, how well am I going to be able to care for myself into older age, you know, because mm. when you're in a wheelchair and you're, you know, 30 or 40 or 50, you know, you can get around just fine. And if you're healthy, you keep your shoulders healthy, you keep your body healthy, you watch what you eat, you exercise, you know, do all of those things, then you can stay relatively healthy. But, uh, you know, anybody is going to start having, you know, health issues, you know, in their 50s and 60s and 70s, whether it's just the little nagging health issues or whether it becomes something major. And so then it's like, well, am I going to be an extra burden because I have, you know, I started out with more health issues. And so things are, are bound to be um, more serious with me, but, you know, I, I let myself get caught up on that sometimes because, you know, life with a disability is much more expensive than life without. And I don't, I don't want to be the one that makes us go broke or something, <laughs> um, you know, but at the, at the same time, like on any given day, something could also happen to Steve to where, you know, he's the one costing us money with medical bills, whether it's an exactly. accident or a diagnosis or something like that. So I usually, you know, even when I get frustrated about it or worried about it, I, I also try to remind myself that, you know, like this happened to me in five seconds like yeah. anything yeah. can happen to anybody in five seconds and it can change the entire you know world for you exactly so, yeah. I, you no, know i try I, not to get caught up on it but it, it, it's it has to part. Yeah, but it's really interesting because I, I love that you said with the relationship thing because often i get a lot of questions around what do i do if i see a blind person on the corner and they look lost and so I often go back to, what would you do if you saw a not blind person on the corner <laughs> looking lost? Right. And so the thing you say about couples, like, yeah, you have to split some hobbies out, but so does everybody. And exactly. so it takes you back to that humanity of disability and being like, it's not the, because of my disability that we are together. It's because <laughs> we're humans and we're two different humans that live life together. And it's, exactly. this, it's the same thing with that and the anxiety that, that you and I get. I, I get it around vision and because my vision's progressive and some days are worse than others just based on stress or based on, you know, how much I use my eyes that day. And I always go to the what if I go blind um, scenario and, you know, you can really go down the rabbit hole with that and or you can say, okay, I'm not today, so anything can happen to Jameson, anything can happen to anybody. And we would all be in that same situation. So again, the humanity of it, it, the reality is it can happen to anybody. And for us to sit here and worry about it is just, it's, there's no point. It's just, it's just, too right. Much. It's wasted energy. And 
Um, but you know, I mean, sometimes it's easier said than done. So (laughs) I totally understand the question and I, you know, I understand that, um, you know, I have to understand my feelings and give myself a little bit of grace around the fact that, you know, maybe I will have more health problems. I don't, you know, I don't know, but, um, we'll just cross that bridge when we get there. Exactly. Yeah. And just like, like you said, making sure to do what you can now to prevent that, which is eating healthy and getting exercise, which is everybody. I mean, look at our society. If we all ate healthy and we all exercise, we wouldn't have the obesity problem that we have, which is extremely difficult um, to navigate at times for people. And so, you know, we all have to make choices for our bodies and try to be as healthy as we can. And at the end of the day, you know, we all have different challenges that we have to, that we have to navigate. That's true. And I, I mean, I feel as somebody with a disability, like I, I'm almost blessed in that I, I know how valuable my health is and mm-hmm. I know how valuable it is to do the things to keep me healthy. Whereas other people, um, you know, who are able-bodied, they take that for granted. And, you know, in the long term, I'm probably going to be the healthier person, you know, because I paid attention to it. Whereas an able-bodied person is like, I'm fine. I don't have to, you know, eat right. I don't have to exercise. I don't have to do all these things. And it's like, well, you know, suit yourself. But I happen to know the other side of that. And, you know, so I am going to do what I can to take care of myself. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, what other... Um, uh, where am I trying to say? Uh, so how, what do you find are the most, uh, challenging situations you've been in with people? Um, not just your, your husband, but with people around you, what, what is uh, some of those things that really get under your skin as far as people not knowing or not understanding or trying to do this with you or trying to do that when interacting with you? Like, what are some of those pet peeves that you have? Um, I think a lot of times when you're a wheelchair user, you know, people have a tendency to want to um, over help. And, um, you know, I always, I, you know, I always just say to people, just ask if you want to help. That's fine. But ask first if I need help. Um, Because a lot of people just like, uh, they automatically decide that you are incapable and they help you with things that you might not want help with. Like, you know, pushing you down the street. I, I don't want somebody to push my chair unless they've asked me and I'm expecting it. Um, yeah. So, you know, things like that, or, you know, like somebody at the grocery store will um, ask me if I need help and I'll say no. And then they'll start helping me anyway. And, um, you know, and I'll be like, I don't know if you were listening, apparently not, but I actually said, no, I don't need help. You know, I used to get that a lot when I was, when I um, drove a regular car and I took my wheelchair apart and, you know, lifted it into the chair and put it into the passenger seat beside me. And people would come by and be like, oh, let me help you lift that. And I'd be like, no, 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 don't, don't, because I have a system that gets it in the car just right so that when I get to my destination, I can get it out very easily. And like, they don't, they don't get that. Like it, you know, and it might look to them like it's a struggle or it's a pain in the butt or whatever. And you know, maybe it is, but, um, you know, still, I still have my system. So please don't get in the way of that system unless I ask you or I direct you, you know, exactly how to do it. So, you know, it's things like that, that, um, you know, really bother me about people or that, um, another one is, you know, just having just random people come up to me and, 
and ask me, you know, what happened to you? Or, you know, even worse, what's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, there's really nothing wrong with me at all. Yeah. Um, you know, I might have a different situation that I'm functioning in, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's right or wrong. I just, it's just different. So, um, you know, I, I think the fact that people seem to believe they have a right to know, you know, details about my life that may or may not be, you know, intimate or sensitive or, um, you know, sore subject, you know, whatever it is, like you don't have the right to just go up to somebody and ask them what happened um, mm -hmm. any more than you do, you know, with any other person. So, um, you know, I just think that those are, those are the kinds of things that people are not, they don't, you know, it's, it's the etiquette that's missing. And I, I think it's, you know, people are people and they just blurt things out or they just, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It seems like the right thing to do, but um, you know, it's like, maybe if you just take a second to think about it, then that would be really helpful. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. And it's really, it's funny that people don't think that what if you said something like, oh, my husband beat me so much that I went paralyzed. What right. are you going to say to that? Exactly. If that was the case or even in your situation, I got hit by a car. Okay. Now what are you going to do with that? Are you going to come comfort me? Like, no, you're a stranger. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. So, a, you're a stranger and B, like, you don't know what I need around that. Like, do I need exactly. comfort or do I even care? Do I even, you know, it's like, it's, it's just, it's useless information for a stranger to ask that of me. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just, it's just so interesting that people's curiosity gets, gets ahead of them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, very good. Um, so what are your, you, you are shooting in the 2021. So you have decided that for sure. No, I still have to qualify. So we didn't okay. get to do our last qualifier. Oh, it you was, didn't. Um, oh. It was supposed to be um, this the three weeks from now, uh, about a month from now. It's supposed to be oh, the okay. end of May in Peru. And so that was canceled. So we're basically starting from uh, scratch with that comp uh, competition. So okay. they'll reschedule it and then we'll, you know, go to that and see who makes it. That was the final qualifier. So we'll only have one more. The people who've already qualified will get to keep their spots. Oh, they um, will. Okay. Yeah. But we'll, we'll still have to go to one more event to qualify the rest of the team. Okay. Wow. Okay. So they don't know when that will be, but eventually. Right. Very good. Okay. One last question. And I don't know if you'll want this included or not, but, um, at the conference, we talked about your race and we talk a lot about race and equity on this show. And, um, you identified at the beginning as a mixed race, black and white. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear about, how um, you, you mentioned um, at the conference about your upbringing and then how you had to kind of learn what that meant and if you want to go into it or not, it's up to you. Oh yeah, that's fine. Um, I was um, adopted when I was five months old and my family is white. And so um, I, you know, I mean, I never really thought about it a lot as a kid just because um, you know, my family accepted me like 
any other kid in the family. I have, um, I grew up with three older brothers and there was never any difference in the way that, you know, we were treated or the way that people acted. Um, I don't, I don't even remember when or how I learned that I was adopted or learned what it meant. Um, oh, wow. Okay. In, in like in my memory, like I've always known, but I'm sure there was, you know, a time when my parents had to say, okay, here's the deal. This is why, you know, you have an Afro and your brothers have blonde hair. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I'm sure that that was a, a thing. Um, but it's, you know, it's definitely like the older I get, the more I can look back on my life and, and think, oh, there's reasons why I felt, um, you know, different or, maybe had some um, issues around, do I really belong here where I am? And, you know, things like that, because I've always, you know, I've always kind of identified as being white, just because that's how I was raised. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, when I'm out in the community, and people see me, you know, they might think I'm black, they might think I'm white, they might, you know, think I'm biracial, like I I get all kinds of things. Okay. Um, you know, so it was more like just being out in the world and, and not knowing, you know, how people saw me and then how that made them, you know, respond to me. Like I went, I, I went to a, the University of Vermont fresh out of high school Okay. and I didn't, I never thought anything of it, but I, when I was at the school, like there were probably four African-American students in the whole university. Whoa. You know, so, you know, like when I, I remember just like having, um, just kind of feeling a little bit out of place, just, you know, like hair was different and I looked a little different and, um, you know, I, I, I look back on it and I'm like, oh, you know, I used to compare myself against these, you know, girls who had these you know, long blonde hair and I have this, you know, kinky curly crazy hair and, Mm -hmm. you know, like it just kind of made me insecure, I think, in a lot of different aspects. And now when I look back on it, I'm like, well, no wonder why. I mean, I, I was a little bit different, but I wasn't used to feeling different because I was so accustomed to identifying with being white and fitting into my family. And that's how I saw it. Yeah, not how people outside of me saw it. So, um, I it was like a disconnect, and and now I realize why it didn't feel quite right because I was thinking and feeling and seeing one thing, and other people were, you know, seeing something else. So yeah, absolutely interesting, an interesting kind of situation, I guess. Yeah, another thing I talk about often is intersectionality, um, and so mm-hmm. the intersecting identities of people and how often people put you in one box and you're actually in more than one box and most of us are um, in different identities whether that's race or gender or um, gender identity or um, you know marital status or you know relationship preferences and um, since your injury since it was um, later in life have you noticed a difference between people treating you differently, um, before and after the accident as a person of color? Um, not necessarily as a person of color, but, but before and after the disability, I mean, for sure. Like, you know, like it's, it's night and day really how people treat you when you're able-bodied and then you, um, you know, have a disability and all of a sudden like the world is just different. 
Yeah. And the way that people treat you is different. And, and you, and you know, like, you know better. You're like, well, yesterday when I was able-bodied, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't have said that, or you wouldn't have done that. But today now I'm suddenly this different person. Like, you know, I mean, it's, again, it's that, like, I see myself, like when I, from the inside, I see myself as a capable, intelligent, you know, active woman, you know, yeah. but then somebody on the street sees me as helpless and, you know, defective and, you know, all of these other things, um, you know, kind of like when, you know, people ask us if we got married before or after my accident, they're seeing me as, you know, she has a dis disability, you know, she's damaged goods. Why would you do that? And I'm looking at myself like, wow, I'm, you know, kind of cute. And I've got really buff arms because I'm an athlete and I'm smart <laughs> and I, you know, do all these cool things. And I'm like, I don't know why there's a problem here, but, exactly. you know, again, it's that disconnect of what they see and how, you know, how I see out and how they're seeing in. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard to make people see otherwise because, they're either going from their experience or they're going from, from what they see on TV or, you know, I mean, I always have people who come up to me and they tell me about that one person that they know who's in a wheelchair, like, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I had this classmate who was in a wheelchair or my brother's in a wheelchair or I met this person once in a wheelchair. And so whatever their experience is with that person, they automatically attach it to me. So you know, if their brother was in a car accident when he was 18 and, you know, was paralyzed and he ended up, you know, having a really hard time and, you know, being, you know, lashing out, being really angry and this and that and the other, and, you know, staying at home and sitting on the couch, then they assume that that's what I do too. Um, and they don't, you know, they don't look at you like you are a completely different individual and you do whatever you do as an individual as opposed to you know, what he did as an individual. And it could be two totally different things, you know? Yeah. yeah um, so it's, it's, you know, I mean, and that's that kind of unconscious bias where you are basically going off of your experiences as opposed to like having a fresh look at, at everybody in the way that they, you know, present and not where the way you kind of peg them to be presenting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Okay, the final question right now is, um, what would you say in your life, in your whole life, what is the one or two things that you're most proud of doing or achieving? Um, I would say, in my, you know, the things that I'm most proud of achieving are um, actually all things that I've done since my injury. And um, I think that, um, really thriving after my injury is probably one of the things that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. I, I'm proud of um, having become an author because that's something that I, you know, always wanted to do in my life, but I don't think that, I don't know if I would have done it without the accident. Oh, really? um, I don't know if I would have been driven to do it or, or felt like I had the, you know, ability, but I just kind of like jumped into it. So I'm, I'm proud of that. And, proud of my um athletic career um, yeah. so you know i think those are the things that not only have like you know defined my life but also is where i derive my my success and my um you know just love for life from perfect 
Okay, so where can listeners find out more about you? Where can they, um, if they want you to speak or do any kind of training or anything like that, where can they find you? Uh, my website is trishadowning.com. And that's T-R-I-C-I-A, Downing. And um, I'm also on social media at Redefining Able on Instagram and Twitter. And um, I actually just started a, a Facebook page, um, not just my personal page, but a, a business page. And that's Trisha L. Downing. So, oh, okay. Very good. I will be on there soon. Perfect. Any last thoughts you want to wrap up with? Are you good? Um, I think that's it. I just appreciate you having me on your show. And I think it's, I think it's great that you're talking about, um, you know, equity and inclusion. And I, I really encourage people to think about not just um, including people, but helping them feel like they belong. I think, mm. that's, I think that's two different things. I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, you can come along, but it's another thing to say, um, you know, come along because you, you belong with this group or you belong here in this, you know, this meeting, this party, this, you know, club, this whatever. And um, so I just think it's important for, for everyone to really go that step further and, and talk about belonging. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me here today at Human Is My Label. Don't forget to subscribe, share this with your friends, families, and coworkers. Get out there, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, include everyone, and push yourself to be better every day. If you're interested in coaching or corporate training or learning more about RAPID, visit us at rapidorgan.org. That's R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N.org. You can find me at emily.curry on Instagram and all my other social handles are below. Have a great day and I can't wait to see you next week.